0: Hello, thank you for listening to Donkey Does Hollywood. I hope life's been treating you well. It's been a while since I uploaded an episode. Apologies for the delay, I had some opportunities that took up much of my free time over the last six months, nearing the end of uh, some associate's degrees at Los Angeles Valley College. I learned that some interesting people studied here, such as Brian Cranston, Tom Selleck, Sean Astin, and even former Playmate of the Year, Cynthia Wood anyway i'm glad to be back sharing content with you today's conversation is from last may talking with katrina joe lee katrina is a screenwriter poet and comedian from philadelphia in this chat katrina shares her journey to hollywood from the philadelphia fringe and via africa i really enjoyed the conversation i think you will too so stay tuned for donkey does hollywood Katrina Jolie. Hey. Uh, writer, comedian, producer, poet. How are you doing, Katrina?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you for having me.
0: You're enjoying the station, yeah?
1: I'm. I'm like looking around, and we were just discussing spirit animals, and you just revealed to me that Lionel Richie is yours, and I think Michael Jackson may be mine, um, or the spirit animal I long to be, without the kids in my bed, of course, but. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you see Leaving Neverland?
1: I have not. I have not. I'm pro- yeah. probably the only human who hasn't.
0: Yeah, I saw a bit of it, you know, and uh, it's undeniable. Like, there, there's there's something there.
1: Well, I will deny that there's something off with him, um, or there was, anyway. I'm just not sure whether or not he actually touched people. Yeah. You know, inappropriately.
0: It, it, I, it, I suppose it depends whether we can... Um, we can judge a stranger for the the creative side that they've got, or mm. the circumstance that they were in.
1: Hmm. Yeah. E- I. I don't know.
0: Because C- we feel like we know our heroes, right?
1: I don't actually. <laughs> yeah. I. You know. And I, and I think that's the problem with um, American culture. We idolize the image of what we want to see in people. Uh, we we make them demigods. Yeah. To a certain extent, and we worship them. Because uh, the thing about the um, demigod, or I, I call the uh, Jesus complex, is that they're unattainable. They're yeah. the great exception, not the great example. Um, so we strive to be as close to Michael, as close to Jesus as we possibly can, knowing that it's like in the back of our minds, it's unattainable. Um, and yeah, no, we they're put them
0: on a platform. Yeah,
1: don't we? they're people too.
0: Yeah, they make mistakes.
1: They shit the same. Oh, am yeah. I allowed to say that? <laughs>
0: No, but we'll carry on.
1: <laughs> okay. Now that I know.
0: It's good. It's good. Don't worry.
1: Straight poop I, I, I,
0: I don't think the FCC are listening.
1: Oh, okay. Cool, 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 cool.
0: But it's great to have you here. I haven't seen you in a while.
1: I know. It's been a while. You yes. know, the last time you saw me, I was carrying pineapples or avocados or something, making the best of my college education.
0: <laughs> Trader Joe's for the win, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I'm I'm really interested... In in learning uh, learning a bit about where you're from uh, from Philadelphia and what it was like growing up there and um, you, your your journey there I mean you got interested in poetry in elementary school and for me I, I was the same in elementary school poetry really grabbed me and for me it was uh, an escapism in a way of processing my thoughts how was it for you?
1: Um, well, Philadelphia I, I wasn't the Fresh Prince let's let's make that clear. Um, <laughs> You know, I think I grew up in a house where I think a lot of children were, were pretty much pushed to to attain jobs that uh, gave security. So be be a doctor, be a lawyer, not just like security, like, but just you make a lot of money and you're able to provide for yourself and others. Um, so I found this journal entry because in second grade we had journals and we had to write in our journal every day. And I think that's where the spark happened um, where I, you know, write in my journal and I found this entry wrote in 1989 February of 1989 saying I want to be a writer but then from that point everybody was in my head saying be a lawyer be this, be that by the time that I got to college you know, I had gone through some really, really dark spaces and writing was just so far removed from my being until it was reintroduced and um, I used poetry, or poetry was introduced to me, rather, by a teacher that told me that it was the greatest escape. Um, and it saved my life. Yeah. And I was able to take everything in my head, everything that was in my heart that was super dark at the time, and just put it in prose. Um, and it was a letter to myself. It's the way I communicated with myself. And I didn't share until like, I started to get out of that space and I was introduced into the poetry world in Philadelphia which is very different from when I started um, and I started doing spoken word and I was just really like going for it even went to the uh, Apollo in Harlem um, yeah. but then like a lot of things when people start to it starts to create a mass I don't know like following of or it just becomes like popular yeah then it turns into something else and then when I used to go to poetry readings, and it didn't matter like what people were saying as long as they said it a certain way, like, Robert, this mic, this mic that I am sitting in or in front of, what is it? What is it to me? And then it's like, I don't know, because you're not saying anything. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? And yeah. it's just like, shut up, please. Um, I can't do this anymore. This is not my stilo, and it's time to move on. And... I found that the greatest, one of the, the other greatest forms of tori- storytelling outside of poetry was uh, screenwriting. And I had a friend who went to Temple University and he gave me Movie Magic Screenwriter. Yeah. And the rest is history.
0: Do, do you, um, can you remember any of your poems from that era? And how do you feel? About ah!
1: That? <laughs> um, I do um i and i remember this one in particular i would probably forget some parts of it though um because it when i went to the apollo the the lady told me that she didn't think that the first couple lines people would be open to it and that even though she understood it and it was great um that i would probably be booed and she was right um and I had the Sandman come out and all that stuff. Wow. They,
0: they, they boo people at poetry readings.
1: Oh, no. Well, the Apollo. Have you ever heard of the Apollo? No,
0: I'm not it, familiar with oh, that.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. So the Apollo is a part of the Chitlin Circuit. The Chitlin Circuit was where, like, black performers like the Supremes, Jackson 5, the greatest of our time, Marvin Gaye, would, would go and perform at these particular venues. Um, the Uptown Theater was in Philly. Um, and so the Apollo became one of them. The thing about the Apollo was that the audience could boo you off stage, and then wow. they had this guy like dress up like like some sort of clown, and he would do like this dance and kind of push you off the stage.
0: That's really like forging your performance in fire. You know, uh, like if you can uh, handle that.
1: Yeah, and I was so elated to be on this platform. Um, the first two lines of my poem were: um, "There's a dike on the mic." And, and um, how long ago was
0: this? I mean, it, I suppose it was a different. Oh, man. I was 20.
1: I want to say I was 20 or 21 when that happened when I got booed off stage. Yeah. And it, the irony is that about five to seven years later, I came back with a group of my students. And I, you know, we had a tour of Harlem, and the Apollo was one of those places, and we stood on the very stage that I stood on. <laughs>
0: You know, in some ways, getting booed off stage isn't such a bad thing. I, I've um, I've definitely had uh, conflicting experiences with audiences. I, I think it's good because it kind of made me a bit more defined. And it made me do, oh, you know, I'm going to do this because I want to. And uh, if people like it, they do. And if they don't, that's fine.
1: Yeah, I think the most hurtful thing was um, it was very discriminatory. Like, you know... Um there's a dyke on a mic or lesbian to be politically correct. Do,
0: do, do you think you were because um because you'd come on there as uh, as a lesbian at uh, the time? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh hell yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's
0: not because they just didn't
1: Oh no, no, no.
0: Like the delivery.
1: No, it was um yeah, it was definitely what I said in my in my aesthetic. Um and at that time people weren't open. Yeah people weren't open to that at that time. I don't know if they they are now or not, but
0: I mean, at least in California they are, thankfully.
1: <laughs> you know,
0: they seem pretty open here. Yeah,
1: that was 2001-2002. So, that was the time that we were living in. So,
0: uh, how, how do you think um, how do you think that side of yourself has affected your career and your trajectory as an artist and, you know, what you want to say?
1: I think it formed the scope of, oh well, when I picked like my face up off the ground and I wiped my tears, it was more like, okay, this is what you were meant to do. You were meant to disturb the peace, as James yeah. Baldwin would say. Like you made them uncomfortable. That's why they booed you. Yeah. Continue. That's that's your path. You're, you know, I I am taking a class at the UCLA, UCLA Extension, and it's like, you know. Art is now st- starting to veer into like this thing where it doesn't imitate life it imitates what we want our projection of what we want life to look like, what we want it to be and um I think the the greatest form of flattery is just seeing ourselves in our art um and yeah, nobody wants to look at the reality the the harsh underbelly of who we are as humans, yeah. not as a black woman or a lesbian or whatever you want to call me or whatever, but just human, our condition, yeah. our nature, primal.
0: I, I like that. I'm, I find that interesting. So you began uh, writing scripts short, shortly after that time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, can you remember the first kind of things you were writing? What, what kind of stories were you wanting to tell?
1: Well, when I got booed,
0: <laughs> it was yeah. like,
1: oh, I'm going to write a coming out story now. Like, you know, Um, and that's what I did. I wrote my first feature underneath, and I took $3,000 out of my savings. I got that same friend that gave me Movie Magic Screenwriter, and um, we shot it. And it was more so, it wasn't serious, but it was more so about, um, you know, being like a business card for what I could do if I had money. Yeah you know what I mean Um, and then what ended up happening was there was a market for it so they were like oh you're the first black woman lesbian to make a film since Cheryl Dunye 10 years prior and they were like oh my god we need you and from that point they didn't care about the lighting they didn't care about the sound they cared about the story and I rode that wave all the way to South Africa all the way to Chicago, all over, um, and it it was great, and it was uh, this confirmation or validation that um, yeah, people want to see themselves in art, and they also want people to challenge. They want people to take the voice that they have and put it somewhere else that further that furthers the, the like the progress that we're all seeking and looking for in one way or another
0: how was south africa
1: oh wow um how much time do we have no um we've got time <laughs> um south africa was monumental and i'm just going to bullet point this because i have a tendency to talk a lot but um
0: uh, that, that's what you're here for
1: <laughs> um, um you know they you know, it was 15 years, about 15 years post-apartheid when I got there. And to leave America, yeah. <laughs> you know, and go to South Africa. Is
0: that your first time outside of America?
1: Um, no. No, I, I'd gone to Egypt prior to, yeah. um, prior to that. Um, so going to South Africa and being in such a tense racial climate... Um, And a climate where, although, you know, gay marriage was already legal there, but the freedoms that we had here, although gay marriage wasn't legal, the freedoms that we had to to walk around, I mean, people still get, you know, harassed and beat up and killed and stuff. I don't want to say that it was perfect here, but over there, even though it was legal, like, they really couldn't do anything, anywhere. In fact, I was warned prior to going that they had just murdered the captain of the soccer team, of the international soccer team. And one of the things that was huge there was curative rape. And curative rape, um, was, you know, for one, the, um, the natives, or whatever, the, the, um, Forget what they called them. But if a man had AIDS, he was permitted to have sex with a virgin, no matter how young. Oh, my God. So sometimes babies were involved. The murder of babies were involved in that. And then curative rape was also if a father, um, brother, whatever, um, suspected his sister, you know, wife or um, daughter of being gay, then he would call all of his friends over and force that girl to have sex with all those men until she was cured.
0: That's, that's awful. So
1: and these are things that were like going on, and I wouldn't necessarily say they were legal, but there wasn't a lot of you know push yeah. for any legal action to happen as a result. The um, captain of the soccer team was bound by her shoelaces, raped repeatedly, and then shot in the head.
0: It's so, uh, ma- makes you speechless, right? Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. So I was, they people, my family was like really worried for me, and they had took the picture of me and put it on like like on the cover yeah. of the entertainment section of their newspaper.
0: Uh, yeah.
1: Um. It it was pretty insane. Uh, um, and
0: um, it was uh. It was a gay and uh, lesbian film festival. Wasn't
1: yeah, it? yeah. Well, the circuit, the the only you know festivals that were were accepting the movie were were gay and lesbian film festivals. So,
0: and, and that was called Out of Africa.
1: Out of Africa.
0: So, you know, not not only are you going to this place, you know, where you, where you have a film that uh, is a difficult subject in, in, in that region, but um, it has yeah, highly publicized that. You know you're going to be there. Mm-hmm. This girl from America.
1: Mm-hmm. D-
0: did you feel unsafe?
1: Um, at certain points, um, but not really. I-, I think it was all the fear was planted in my head, so it was there. But once I got there, the experience—I was so immersed and engrossed with the experience of they set me up with the the women of few the forum for the empowerment of women and to this date they are like the most exceptional women i think uh, i've ever met in my lifetime and they used to go to marches and 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 i i you know i would go with them and their their offices are based out of the same prison that held gandhi and mandela and winnie it, it, it was just crazy and I walked through the space and it, I mean like could you imagine I recorded one of their meetings and most of their meetings like, okay, we're gonna march here and just know and and the whole thing was like, oh no, it's not it was not like about like what we are gonna talk about or what we we're gonna put on our signs. It was okay, we're gonna be placed right here. you two are gonna stay here, you two are gonna stay here our safety point meetup is going to be here because they knew going in that there was a high possibility that they could get killed so to you know when we talk about (laughs) revolution or marching or anything like that the death doesn't come into our head yeah we're thinking about our families and it it, you know like oh we're gonna make t-shirts and it's like a
0: yeah at worst you might lose your job um a nazi might punch you
1: yeah Yeah. but we don't have the fear movements here let's let's just say the gun law movement it's so huge and then when you have celebrities coming out it starts to become i don't want to say popular culture but it, it, it it starts to get that air of it yeah like it's it's almost like a popular thing to go home and say i went to the march that that doesn't mean that people don't go into it with the the fervor or the the intensity of what they're there for um by any means but a lot of us many of us don't go in there thinking oh i could be arrested for a long period of time or lose my life or come home and have my dad have his friends 20 of his friends rape me and it'd be okay
0: it's it's just such a such a brutal way of life that's um yeah, you know, can unfortunately be the norm there.
1: Mm-hmm. It, it opened my eyes, and it's like it, it asks you, "What are you willing to die for?" We raise our voices a lot, consciously, um, but unconscious on an unconscious level. It's the meaning of the conscious of saying, "Like, yeah, what are you willing to lose for what yeah. for what you believe in?" And for many of the people that I speak with they're not really willing to lose much,
0: yeah I mean because we're although you know there are definitely things here that need immediate reform and change we're so comfortable
1: very much know. and we're not willing to to lose that comfort We have
0: Game of Thrones, you know we have oh. well we don't now, but we have um, you know our entertainment, we have our, our music, we have um, our in and out burgers and um yeah, we, we're we afraid that, uh, that you know, if we go out and we really do something, you're going to miss your TV show on Sunday night
1: Or you just, yeah, like, the consequences, you know, we don't like consequences No Which, I, mean, I mean, of course not, but it's like when, when push comes to shove, what are you really willing and ready to do? I I love the Occupy movement because people are like, man, forget this. I'm gonna sleep outside. And there was no division of class, race, at least for the first few weeks, anyway. Yeah. People are just like, I don't care about the comfort. Uh, I want you. I want to live more comfortably. That's why I'm willing to be more uncomfortable.
0: And and you see um, some countries where like popular uprisings, you know, they they really do it, but. Um For us, maybe, you know, we'll go on a march for an afternoon. We'll go home, have some dinner, got work the next day, got bills to pay.
1: Yeah, it's different. It's a different energy. I won't say it looks different. I mean, but it it is a different energy because the stakes are a lot higher. In a a true, like a really gritty patriarchal system, the stakes are super high. For me, I, I... Change is, is very individual. If I focus on myself and you focus on yourself and everybody else focuses on themselves, not necessarily the whole, like, what am I doing? What am I contributing to myself? How am I loving myself? And then from that point, how am I loving and creating You know, high vibrations and good energy for everything and everyone around me? Then change is, change is inevitable.
0: You mentioned vibrations. That is, uh, that's that's <laughs> something that that I find interesting. You know, um, that in a way, like kind of attracts like, and you know, you put positivity out there, and, and I do feel that it comes back. How do you feel about that?
1: Um, it's it's the law of nature. I mean, we hear we've heard it. You know, what you put out is what you get. What you get back. Um, and I I'm. It's definitely at a point in my life, probably for the rest of my life, where I'm really focused on being what, like being yeah, and being in this way where like I'm loving myself with all that I can muster, and then from that, but still having a focus on like what do i how do I need to grow, what do I need to work, what do I need to let go? What do I yeah. need to cry about that's been in there for 20 years, you know?
0: It can be painful to look at those things sometimes, but I think it's necessary to move on from them. Otherwise, you just carry it around with you and you have this negativity in you and you don't realize it and it seeps into your everyday actions just a little bit.
1: It can be, but it's... um, It it can be, but for me, I try not to project what it could be because perspective is everything. The yeah. lesson of anything begins with perspective. So if I look at it with like oh my god it's gonna be so uh, it's gonna be so painful then that that will be my experience but if i'm like oh my god i'm about to grow 10 feet tall taller than i was yesterday and i'm just gonna cry and i'm gonna smile and i'm gonna eat a bag of doritos and i'm gonna watch netflix for 16 hours i like it and then tomorrow (laughs) i'm back at the gym i'm eating right i'm meditating so i'm calling somebody and saying i love you
0: wh- what kind of meditation do
1: you use that's a good question robert because <laughs> i was watching like dead to me on netflix and like her meditation's like death metal and her yeah. arm's screaming. <laughs> and i'm like yeah that's totally me
0: it was a really cathartic <laughs> release to sing heavy metal <laughs> you know um it was great whenever i was stressed or anything i wait till on stage it's like, ah! yeah
1: um I yeah have- and
0: not having that release anymore um thankfully kundalini has replaced it but um how about you
1: for me i well i've been told that silence is my ally um and it's not yet i haven't i've been told it's like somebody pointing to somebody and they're like that's your that's your best friend you're like i don't know her (laughs) like you know what i mean that's yeah that's what silence is to me like she i don't like the way she looks like you know and that's what silence is because having all my thoughts just run through rampant like just you know as i'm moving through my day all things distract me but when i take the time to be silent and i sit and all these all these things just start running and i'm having to be more focused on what's going on and really embrace it not dismiss it not suppress it be like okay i hear you you're there breathe one two three four five you know um and then not get mad at myself if I can't keep my focus long enough. But um, yoga, doing yoga has taught me to just just remain with my breath. And just taking the time to try is a victory. And so that's as far as my meditation goes. And sometimes it's like I can't get my mind to shut up and it's really bothering me. Let me just put on some binaural beats. Yeah. And zone out and just close my eyes to just zone out.
0: The way that Kundalini helped me is uh you know the breath work and the chanting but then putting yourself in a, a physical position that's uncomfortable to the point where um all i can think about is how uncomfortable that position is and uh but pretty soon with the breathing the the thought of that pain disappears and then there's nothing left there's no thought left it's empty and it took time for before, before i was able to do that but um and then, then you just you're just there and you're just present
1: yeah uh, uh, mantras also helped me too. I'd be on my Deepak so Like I'll just <laughs> I'll say things like So hum I am and yeah. then just focus on my breathing and saying that and allowing myself to just go in deep with that.
0: Whenever I think of Deepak now I just think of the Mike Myers movie, The Love Guru. Did you ever see that?
1: No I have not.
0: Yeah, it's uh I, I enjoyed it, you know, the critics didn't, but uh it made me smile. So you came back from Africa, and, uh, and you, did you go back to Philly at that point?
1: I did. I did.
0: And, uh, and you created um, something for the Philadelphia Fringe Festival, Kathy's Daughter.
1: Yes, I did. Um, Kathy's Daughter, um, after I did like the whole coming out thing, like, there you go, Apollo, take that uh <laughs> i went to south africa <laughs> um i was in desperate need of some catharsis um i i i have struggled for some years with um depression and um at that time i was in real deep need of some catharsis and i was in therapy and all these things were coming up and i um yeah i grew up in a uh, in a home with um um violence um, mm-hmm. domestic violence and you know it, it's really I mean you can get some severe PTSD yeah. um, from growing up in a home like that so I always I mean we've or I've seen movies anyway with domestic violence but it's always from the woman's perspective and it's never from the child's perspective and I had to acknowledge and admit that even though I wasn't getting up and I wasn't being violent in my relationships, I learned a lot of bad behaviors in watching that. Um, those, those exchanges and in, in, in those interpretations of love. And that I was carrying those things into my adult life and it was really messing up some stuff and i i mean like you know you are what you attract so um as much of a mess i was i was attracting exactly what i was not to call you know the partners that i've had messes but they they came they came with their their own set of stuff um so the catharsis of kathy's daughter was writing you know from the perspective of um That child that grew up to be a woman Had a lot of heartbreak um, And in turn Because of that heartbreak Just being so overwhelmed and overcome With um, fear And sadness and anger That she decides to Commit suicide And so it's just an exploration Of all the events The the pivotal events in in her upbringing That brought her to that point And sharing it with the audience um, With the scenes being reenacted in the background
0: it's um it's a lot of pain to go through you know are are you seeking catharsis did you find it
1: oh i did years later um (laughs) the thing about it is is that catharsis or healing is an interesting thing because a lot of us believe that healing comes when we can verbalize what our issues are we can make sense of it but true healing and true letting go is when you understand that your subconscious still reacts and responds to that trauma so although you can put language to it and understand yourself like yeah this is why I do this and this is why I do that your subconscious is still there to protect you and still operates from that space and so it's really just identifying and understanding your pattern within the knowledge that, that you have, the conscious knowledge that you have, and how you respond to things. so, um, you know, like people are triggered by things. Like how often do you ask yourself, like, she said something and it's making me mad. And why is it making me mad? Or <laughs> the thing in L.A. is like, you, that just triggered me. <laughs> and it's like, okay, but that trigger has nothing to do with me. Yeah. What type of responsibility do do you have for that not to be a trigger anymore? Yeah. If I have issues, you know, with my partner of insecurity, if she hasn't cheated or anything like that or whatever, or even if she did cheat, I'm still with her. It's like these are all decisions that I'm making and all these decisions that I make from moment to moment stem from that subconscious, and so when I have an understanding of that and I'm taking notes like i'm I'm being really in touch and in tune with my body and what's coming up at all times, like even like judgment, like I go into a room, and i you know I did this boxing class this morning once upon a time, I would have came in that room, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm more fit than her." Oh, yeah. <laughs> Like I'm gonna run circles around this girl. Like I would have done that. I came in there. I'm like, hey, how you doing? But once upon a time, but I could tell that they were doing that with me. Yeah. Like, but why am I doing that? We don't ask ourselves those questions.
0: Yeah, it's it's, it's definitely difficult. I mean, I can relate to um, I can relate to you know the childhood you had, um, I had one really good parent and one not so good, mm. but um, you know, they, they they both love me. You know, uh, but it was. It's definitely learned behaviour that you pick up, and it, it can be really difficult to to get rid of that. You know, especially words. You know, we we, we try and say our oh, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But but they do, and especially in relationships. You know, like uh, friends, partners, loved ones. W- words can do real damage, and um, yeah, it's, it's it's definitely difficult. Um, to come away from that even when you do have insight and, and you recognize okay I feel this way because this I'm triggered of this because this exact reason that I can recall from when I was like seven years old but e- even even with that it's definitely difficult to to come away from it because um, it is you so it's in some way it's like trying to accept it and then let go of it at the same time how 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 do you feel that um you've moved away from that or is it um a continuous you know you need to check yourself every so often or do you feel that meditation kind of keeps you in that place
1: um you know i i have to be aware of my programming and and being somebody that's struggled with suicidal ideations i for one tr- like truly believe that mental anguish is so much worse than any physical (laughs) it's like i mean like most of the people i've ever asked like you know what do you remember like that's really traumatizing from your childhood like they'd be like oh yeah my dad beat me or my mom did this and threw me in a closet or whatever but the main thing that always sticks out is the thing that they said to them that stuck with them forever and that's programming um and even when we're looking at physical things, there is dialogue. There's, there's programming. And what I had to learn is that there's so much ego in me. And whatever programming that I got from whatever experiences that I have is constantly like playing like a record in the background of my mind you're saying i'm not worthy of something, i'm not good enough for something else. You're going to fail. You know, and i respond to these things and it and it's such a soundtrack because it's been playing for so many years that it's like uh when you live in the city, like yeah. you get used to the traffic, you get used to the bus and people screaming and you go to sleep, that's your soundtrack. That's the same thing. It's the same thing. And so when you get used to that, um you got to make yourself more conscious of what's always been there like the things in your house like you just you when you get used to something being there when it's when you have to like oh yeah and you have to zero in and zone in on that so I've been talking to my ego a lot um and I have this spiritual healer that I go to that told me how to talk to my ego so if I'm up for like A position like maybe this big writing gig or whatever, and my ego would just be like, I don't know. It's I don't think it's you know I don't think you're good enough for it. And it's like I'm not gonna be like shut up, you're wrong. I'm like I'm not gonna do that. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna be like, "Ah, I mean, like you may be right, but I'm gonna do my best and I'm gonna try. Because my ego, my ego is only the little kid in me. Yeah. I'm just an adult child, and I have to. As an adult talk to the child in me that's been programmed to think and believe certain things that well, we're
0: true. all adult childs really mm-hmm you know um, there's no adults we're just uh, we're all just the children we're just a little bit older
1: <laughs> right
0: learn a few more lessons
1: <laughs> maybe maybe not
0: yes yeah, some of us <laughs> some of us don't want to learn them at all exactly so um, you 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 finished Kathy's daughter and was it at this point you decided to come to LA I
1: did Um I got to a point where I just was feeling like I, I had a glass ceiling. Um, sometimes living in certain cities... Because this is not everybody's experience, but for me, it's like... Um, I could be the local celebrity. I could have been a total local celebrity. Like, I was in Philly. Um, where it's just like... Big you fish in a little you, pond. Y- y- yeah, yeah. Big fish yeah. in a little pond. You You have... Anything I would create, I would I would be able to get support for it because I've already established myself. And Philly is a city; it's very it's a very loyal city, very hostile, but people are loyal. Um, that when you do, people are just so happy that you're doing something that they'll come out and support you. And there's no room for growth when everybody's telling you you're good and you smell good. That's like the downfall of a lot of people that make it because they yeah. have they surround themselves with people that say yes. So there was no room for growth in that environment, and it just gets to a point where it's just like, am I going to live in my mother's basement forever? Because that's what it feels like. Yeah, it wasn't literal, but that's what it feels like. I'm never going to grow living in my mother's basement. Yeah. Um. So I got to get out of here, and I got to be challenged. And I, it was my firm belief that what I was producing, I, I, I don't like to use the word deserved, um, but I wanted it on a bigger platform. Yeah, And so I came to L.A., and I got broken. <laughs>
0: yeah, it, 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 can, um, it can be a cold city because everyone's friendly, but that doesn't mean they're friends.
1: Oh, no. Oh, yeah. California is one of the most hardest places to navigate. And I don't, you know, for me, I don't know whether it's because I come from a city where your word is your bond like mm-hmm. what you say, like is what you mean. People are very blunt. People are very forward. If somebody doesn't like you, you never have to guess because they already told you two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. you have the, you know, there's no guessing. Like you, you know, you know who you are. I mean, you. I mean, you don't. I'm not gonna say you don't know who you are, but you know. where you stand with people whereas like la is like a totally different beast i mean one of the things that i I had the hardest time with is like you meet somebody i'm like oh my god i think you're so cool and they're like yeah we should go get coffee sometime i'm like that would be great here let's exchange numbers okay and then they're like i'll hit you up okay awesome and then you're like you know a week goes by like oh i didn't hear from such and such well let me just you know, see what's up. Like, hey, you still want to get that coffee? Birds. Yeah, yeah. Birds. Nothing. And then three months later, you'll see them. And you'll be like, how you doing? And they're like, oh, my God, hey, I'm so happy to see you. <laughs> like, oh, my God, we should totally get coffee. And it's like, are you are you insane? <laughs> That's like the hardest yeah. thing to, like... You know,
0: like, w- w- huh? It, it really is like that. I mean, like, uh, even the the two of us, uh, you know, I haven't seen you in uh, almost a year, maybe.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: You know, um, and, and I, I do think that, that I'm, I, I don't want to speak for everyone that's that acts like that, but I do think a lot of them mean it when they say, let's go get coffee. But there's a fatigue that LA gives you. You know, it's all the traffic. It's uh, the constant buzz you're always having to do something and um i think i think those people they want to do it when they say it and then they get home and they get tired and they can't face it and uh it also seems that instead of facing it and texting you saying, hey you know i'm i'm sorry um i'm tired it's been a busy week can we can we do it in the future i've got a bit going on at the moment uh they, they, they just they just disappear you know they ghost you completely and, and that's the thing that i don't like you know when people people ghost you sure i mean if if you're busy don't worry
1: i don't but. know it's like you know for me i am just a prime believer that you make time for the things you want to make time for you know yeah if you're if you want it if you're investing in it you'll make the time for it regardless um and it would be like those same people and that post on social media every thirty minutes, yeah. <laughs> but can't send you a text being like, "Hey, I'm sorry," you know. It it there's no excuse for common courtesy.
0: It's frustrating.
1: And I don't get that. That's one of the things that I, I miss about the East Coast. Like I, and and it's been seven years since I lived there, so maybe things change. But when I lived there, like, yeah, people. And then if they didn't get back to you. Or whatever, they would say something like, "Oh man, yo, my bad for not getting back to you, man. I was, I was in my bag. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they would, they would acknowledge, and it's yeah. like, oh man, don't worry about that, yo. Like, and it would be like that. But here, it's just like, where'd you get some coffee? Like, did did you not? Freak? Did you? You, I know you yeah. got a text. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like,
0: it's, it's it's funny pretty- behavior. It's it's not it's yeah, not good, is it?
1: Uh, like, and somebody broke it down and told me people in LA have a very hard time saying no. Yeah. They have a very hard time saying things like, well, my schedule's really busy for the next month, but like, check in with me. There's something about LA people where no is a no no. And I don't understand that because no is not like permanent. It's, you know what I mean? Yeah. I just don't.
0: And I, and I think that's really, really present around the business. I mean, there, there's times where um, where I've had people promise me the world, and uh, that's it. Never hear from them again. Never pick up the phone again. I'm like, and uh, you know, at some point you think, is it something I've done, something I said, and you, you analyze the situation. And you're like, no, no, that's just. Um, I guess that's just who that's they, who
1: they are. are. That's fine.
0: So y- you came to LA, and um, was was this way where you? Where you worked for ricky lake
1: no i interned when i first got out of college well no i i was i still in college i can't remember but i interned for ricky lake and judge hatchet for summer and i still lived in philly and i got up at like four in the morning and caught the train into new york to be there at eight
0: that's commitment. <laughs> that is commitment.
1: I mean, I never forget it. We had a meeting with Ricky, and my, I don't even know who he was, but he was like the coordinator or manager, and he goes, You even have somebody here that travels all the way from Philly. And she's like, Who? And then he points to me, and she looks at me, and she goes, Why would you do that? <laughs> I was like, Okay.
0: uh, She could have got you on the show, right?
1: uh, I mean, you know, some (laughs) of us at times would fill in into, you know, the audience. Yeah. Yeah. If they didn't have enough audience members, like, you know, they would have us like sit in the audience and clap and do all that stuff. Um, We were also in charge of um, answering, like, you know, like if you have a husband that you feel is cheating with your cousin <laughs> called the Ricky Lake show, you know? And we used to take those calls. Oh, God. Um, and then... That we, must have been painful. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but comical at the same time. If I knew I was a... I didn't know I was a script writer then. But if I was, that, I mean... And then we would... Um, when the guests came in, sometimes we had the responsi- we had the responsibility of keeping guests from each other if it was like a surprise... Like remember the daughter that you haven't seen in fourteen years? Well, she's here today, you know. Um, and yeah, so we were in charge of the guests that came in, and then after Ricky, Lake, um, we did Judge Hatchet.
0: How, how was Judge Hatchet?
1: Judge Hatchet was interesting. We, I mean, the same things. Like, she is a real judge, and there's a legal team that sits on set. You know that makes sure that that makes sure that everything that the legalities of what is done is covered from A to Z. Like it's pretty tight. It's that's, really tight. That's
0: interesting. Mm-hmm. I wonder whether the same is true with Judge Judy. I, I've met her a couple of times. She's a really nice lady. <laughs> w- w- way nicer than she seems on TV. <laughs> yeah.
1: How, what do her legs look like? i never. I always wondered. I, I didn't look at her legs. Oh,
0: <laughs> uh, it was uh, working at Trader Joe's in Westwood. She'd come in quite a lot, so I was always the other side of the checkout. But, uh, yeah, she was very friendly.
1: Oh, yeah. I heard mm-hmm. good things about her.
0: What, what was the first headway that you that you began to make in the business
1: here? The thing about success is it's about internal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's internal. I I've known so many people that came out here and didn't make it a year, two years, you know, three yeah. years. Yeah. Um so when a actually when three years passed, I was like, wow. Like I actually like
0: I'm just I'm, reaching that I now. made
1: it. Like I made it somebody told me that it takes about six years. When I first got here, like somebody was like it takes six years to actually get acclimated. So technically, I'm brand new. Yeah. um, Still, but it it takes it takes six years. Um, So I've had, you know, some really huge pivotal moments. Um, One was just making it past a year and three years, Um, holding on a job, being able to make it in this expensive city. Yeah. Um,
0: It's a real fight.
1: Um, I, you know. Through Trader Joe's, I was able to meet a ton of people, um, and through that, I met my writing teacher, who passed this year. Actually, she's sorry. Yeah, uh, thank you. Um, she was an Oscar-nominated uh, screenwriter, and I mean, she was older. She she wrote for the Waltons and all the classics. Um, and her she comes from you know a family of writers, like her father. Um, was a playwright wrote the bad seed yeah like intense stuff and going to her class was intense because she had um she had this way of just being like it's trash it's garbage (laughs) and I, i mean it took me some months before like i was writing things where it's just like okay i'm impressed or i'm i'm you know this is good and then it went from that to being like, it was just a clash of style, so when okay. I got to the point where she was just like no, because she just didn't agree with my choices, not necessarily because my pacing, my rhythm and my structure or whatever have you it was just like her own you know, issues yeah. with the characters or what was going on, you know
0: so at that point you're a peer, so I'm you, like, you're no longer the student when it's, yeah, exactly. it's not about
1: that exactly, so that was a big feat for me um during that time, I did create some shorts and i and I entered into festivals and and i and I won some um congratulations you know, yeah like i had there was a short play contest and I won for directing and screenwriting and um and then I would submit to to austin and different competitions like that and and I started placing before that class I wasn't placing but after. You know, I got to that level. I started placing and um, then the Hollywood fringe came and um, I think I, I wrote libidity, um, which is labels, titles, and identity condensed into one word. I I, I started to go through this period because I think, you know, as humans, we, we are constantly unraveling and peeling off the layers of ourselves. Um, and the peeling comes from our surroundings like in the weathering of the things that are going on around us and the things that that we come in contact with um and i find and this is happening like this happened all throughout my life where like everything about me has been a projection of somebody else's thoughts so for example we look at each other humans we we go around we look at each other and we judge each other we create narratives based on simply our aesthetic like oh you look like you're smart you read books you probably listen to rock like you know what i mean (laughs) you're not gay but you're you would be open if you know it was kind of acceptable (laughs) or more acceptable you know those things that we we do and and i got tired um of the label's That were assigned to me because there's such heavy narratives that are given to me just based off of having a girlfriend, being black, being a woman. And it's like, oh, yeah, we know who you are already. It's like, no, you don't. You have no idea who I am. No, I don't listen to NWA. No, I mean, like, I love sushi. Like, you know, yeah, I love yoga. Like you, <laughs> yeah. like all these things. No, I didn't grow up in like poverty, and if I did, it wasn't poverty to me because I always had what I needed. Like you know what I mean? Like yeah, yes, I have had family members that have gone to jail, but you know what I mean? Does that make me more we, we, black? We definitely judge people, <laughs> like,
0: don't we? Like uh, like the cover of a book, you know?
1: Yeah, and I hated it. So it was basically a a set um, where. I played a stand-up comedian that addresses, you know, her audience. Basically talking about all the labels that have been assigned to me that I denounced. Because I didn't fit in. I was never black enough. I was never girly enough. And I'm definitely not gay enough. I'm losing my libidity. And I'm just going to be me. And that's what that was about. And, um... Kind of similar to Kathy's daughter, I would talk about, you know, different instances in my life that brought me to that point of saying, oh, I denounce being, you know, black because of this, or I denounce being a girl or a woman because of this, or, you know, all these things and why. Because I think it's one thing, just to be clear, it's one thing to say, I am black, I am a woman. I am with a same-sex partner than to say I identify as black. I identify as gay or queer. You, you, yeah. you see what I'm saying? There's, yeah, I, I there's a difference that. there. And so, it's it's me pretty much being like I don't identify as anything other than human. And even that's a stretch for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I think that's that's what we should all try and identify with. We're humans. We're all the same. We're all one. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, borders and race and gender—none of it's real. You know, uh, we're, we're just people. Mm-hmm. We're all born, we all die. We're all—we're all facing the same. Well, not facing the same challenges, but we all have our own challenges. Yeah. And uh, yeah, d- definitely, you know, um, a positive message of unity is is the way forward. But um, you know, it's—we've got a lot to learn before we get there.
1: Well, we just have to be open to another perspective, another narrative. Yeah. Um, and, And being open to another narrative just basically says that there isn't one until you give me one.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Donkey Does Hollywood. I'll be back with another episode soon. Until then, take care.